Imagine being able to ask any question about church issues and practices at any time. Imagine getting a response in 24 hours or less. Imagine a team led by Tom Rayner answering your questions. It's like having your own church consultant on staff, and it's only $14.97 per month. That's only 49 cents per day, and there's no long-term commitment. You can try it today at churchanswers.com slash subscribe. You'll also get a free virtual staff meeting led by Tom Rayner every single month. Again, join us at churchanswers.com slash subscribe. Got church questions? Get church answers. Hi, and welcome to EST. If you love the established church, this is the place to have conversations about why the established church matters, how to better serve her, and to hear stories every week about how God is using the church for His glory and our good. The show is hosted each week by Sam Rayner, Josh King, and Micah Fries. We're glad you're here. What's up? Welcome to another episode of EST. My name is Josh King, and I am joined with my good friend Micah Freeze. Micah, how was your weekend? It was good, man. Had a uh, good Mother's Day. Uh, we're, we're recording this, obviously, a few weeks in advance, so we're recording mm-hmm. it right after Mother's Day. Had a good Mother's Day with my wife and kids. And Yeah, how about you, man? Did you guys have a good weekend? We did. I had a very good uh, Sunday. Had a great small group worship service. Then we went for fajitas with my mother-in-law. And then, nice. Uh, Spent about three, four hours at the pool with some, you know, neighborhood friends, and I have the um, the bright pink complexion to kind of prove that I was at the pool for three or four <laughs> hours. And then, uh, yeah, we just hung out and watched a little Netflix last night. There's a new kind of docu, like Evil Genius, I think it's called, one of those true crime type of Netflix series, which I really like. So mm. it's a good time. That's cool, man. We really are one cool. of those churches, though. Y'all, y'all are. You know, Brainerd's so large. We are um, one of those churches that is predominantly young adults. And so on Mother's Day, we lost about a third week over week attendance. We is just that go right? down. Yeah, yeah, because it's so. All the young folks go to Mama's church. Well, we. Um, I haven't seen our numbers yet. It'll be in a couple hours. I'll get our numbers from yesterday. But uh, let me pull it up here. I'm, I'm actually pulling ours up. I know. We in our it's it's odd like our services our BX services I get those numbers immediately our sanctuary services take a little bit longer to get but I mean I'm looking at our BX services we were down ten people as opposed to last week mm. um, but the past four weeks for us have been down oh you know about um, let's see about a hundred people we've been down about a hundred. But you're hitting summer, so. right? That was our thing. So our big factor is when college students leave. When right. the college students leave, we that's when our hit our, our attendance. So basically, when finals week started, right. or maybe the week before finals, that's when our attendance drops down a little bit. And so you know we'll be down twenty percent, ten to twenty percent over the summer, and then right. we'll pick back so that's, up. That's you, lowercase t, Chattanooga. That's yeah. The, that's the university. Yeah. Well, no, there's actually we we actually pull from six. Colleges and universities wow. in our college ministry. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's uh, yeah. UT uh, UTC is the big one. UT Chattanooga mm-hmm. is the big one. But um, but yeah, I mean we've got we've got three Christian colleges. We pull from two, um, you know, t- uh, tr- uh, like um, trade schools. Or- Chatt- well, Chattanooga State and Dalton State, which are kind of the local. They're four year programs, but they're they're kind of the local. You know, the local right, right. college regional. university, regional mm-hmm. university. That's a really good way to put it. UTC is the big one. I mean, UTC is fourteen thousand students, so wow. it's uh, you know, and it's only about 
four miles or so from our church, five miles from our church. So, and for those listening, the, the BX is the Brainerd Crossroads. That's it's right. their, yep. you know, uh, family life center is what a traditional church may call it. Something yeah. like that. Yeah, it is. It's 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 a little different than a family. It is like a family life center. You're right about that. Um, it's, um, you know, we have. Uh, like I mean, we have a gym, but yeah. we also rent it out every week for conferences mm-hmm. and stuff like that. We have one, two, we have, we have about one, two, three, four, five, six, eight, like six or seven spaces that we can rent out for conference type stuff in there. The, the hang up for me and maybe some of our listeners that are military based is BX means basic. Yeah, exchange. oh, I know. Great. Believe that, me, that, I grew up a military really, kid. <laughs> it gets me all the time. It's hard to. I, I always think Brainerd Exchange is what yep. that means, but then I, I have to remind myself. I think the same exact thing. Yeah, it's Brainerd Crossroads. And so anyway, we hold our modern venue, modern services in that space. So when I say our BX, that's, cool. that's what I'm talking about. Exactly. So, And that's why that would probably dip during the summer when college students are gone. So, You know, um, on Twitter not too long ago, well, before we get to the topic, which I think is a great topic because it came up on Twitter, it's the idea of whether or not we should preach larger or shorter texts. There, text, not Texases. There are um, some who like to preach, you know, verse by verse. I've even been under some preaching that literally is almost word for word, which is brutal. And so we'll talk about that in just a second. But at the time of release, we are about a week away, if you're listening to this the day it drops, a week away from the Southern Baptist Convention in Dallas, Texas. So I'm pretty excited about that. We're yeah, Josh is pumped because it's going to be, uh, yeah, so for those listeners who are there, we're going to have coffee. It's in his backyard. That's I would right. assume you're staying at your house during the whole convention. Is I'm that right? I'm going to be in my own bed at my yeah, own house. That's every, awesome. But I'm going to stay most of the time because, you know, things, uh, you've been to several of these as I have. and. I mean, it's early, early morning to way late, so I'm going to be downtown yeah. most of the time. So. Yeah, that's right. That's all right. It's only 20 minutes from my house, so it'll be okay. That's good news. Yeah, um, so let's get to the topic. I don't even remember, was it your tweet or was it someone else's tweet? I remember I was I was connected through you. I don't. Yeah, I think somebody else said, I, I can't remember either, to be honest with you. To be honest, But the idea that. was essentially, you know, um, this, ar- this person was, was arguing that, we ought to preach larger chunks of text as opposed to smaller chunks of text. That person would be me. Okay. You well, were arguing I, that point. I wasn't arguing that we ought to preach. I was saying that we – I've moved um, more often to preaching. I used to be a preacher who would preach very small text. I call it the John MacArthur School of Preaching, right? So these right. Uh, one verse at a time, that sort of thing, and uh, finite detail. And when I went to seminary, my hermeneutics professor, Dr. Thor Madsen, um, made the case that we ought to preach larger portions of the text. His argument was that we lose context if we're not careful when we mm. preach smaller portions of the text. So uh, that was convincing to me. It was compelling and convincing. And so I began to move to preaching larger portions more often. I don't think, by the way, that we ought to exclusively preach larger or shorter. I just uh, I preach larger much more often than I ever have you know, in the past. My hermeneutics professor was Dr. Denny Burke. And ah, he taught nice. us about, um, you know, pericope by pericope. That's, mm-hmm. That was the approach we took. So I've never really been um, one to preach verse by verse. I always mm-hmm. kind of felt like it was harder. And uh, it may be because uh, I think it would be harder for me because, you know, the point of this verse and next week's – the next verse, they're going to be if – you're, if you're contextual – they're going to be similar points, and that's really hard mm-hmm. for me to kind of make that fresh week after week. So. Yeah, yeah, it can be it can be really difficult. 
so tell me about kind of like some some of your experience, uh, you know, with preaching larger groups of texts. Are you doing that now? Where, what's your sure. at now? Yeah, we're preaching through the book of Esther right now. Uh, we preached through Ruth before Easter, and then we had a two-week Easter series. And um, I think we talked about that on the on the podcast where we sure. preached through um, the foolishness of the gospel since Easter was on April Fool's Day. Right. And then uh, now we're preaching through the book of Esther. We did those two intentionally back-to-back. Um, we recognize that um, so often in churches we tend to have a masculine view of almost everything. So much of leadership in churches tends to be male. And uh, and so even the way we see the world, the way we preach text, tends to be more masculine in nature. And so we wanted to preach a few texts that highlight female heroines and uh, show how God used them in powerful ways in positions of authority and influence. And uh, so we did Ruth and Esther back-to-back. And um, so we're preaching Esther right now. We preach... There's 10 chapters in Esther, and we will preach it in nine weeks. So that tells you how large the chunks are that we're preaching. Uh, Every week, the sermon has been one one chapter long. With one exception, we preached two chapters in one week. And uh, we do that. um, There are a number of reasons why I like doing that that way. One, um, I feel like you do get context. You get to see the whole story, uh, particularly with narratives. You know, when you're preaching narrative passages, it can be very difficult and, in fact, I think challenging and problematic to preach just small verses at a time because narratives are intended to be understood as story, right? Not right. not as systematic, um, you know, sort of bite-sized pieces. And so we preach it that way because we think, you know, that makes sense. That's how it was written. Uh, I also think it's good to preach that way, especially if you're preaching books. It's good to preach that way because it helps keep the congregation engaged. Um, last year, we preached all of Acts over the course of a year. Mm-hmm. And got to be honest, by the time we got to month eight or so, it was dragging. Um, mm. And part of that's probably just because I didn't preach well or I'm a bad leader or something. I don't know. But, <laughs> but I mean, you know, you're in the same topic with the same dominant overall theme. Right for a year at a time, that can begin to get um, it, it can begin to get challenging for people to stay engaged. And so, um, that's not to say there isn't a time to preach small text because I do preach small text fairly regularly as well, one verse, two verses at a time. But I think there's real value in considering preaching larger portions. Mm-hmm. I think that's true. We are currently in a two and a half year series of series. We're going through the Bible. It is um, 20, uh, this would be 20 series, 25 point series. Yeah. So 20 series of five parts. 20. So that's 100 parts. 100 parts. Okay. So two years, 52, so 104 weeks, 100 sermons. Well, it comes out to be about two and a half years if you, you know, take out Advent and Easter and and some some of those variations. So that's helping us quite a bit. It does force us. So, you know, I'll spend – I just started Exodus um, yesterday, and uh, so this will be on the first portion of Exodus. It'll just be kind of the the beginning um, going up to the Exodus. There's five parts to that, so – after that, this one's called Through the Water, and then after that we've got The Law and the Land, and that, that's actually a two-part series, and that'll go in the summer. And it's it's not too small that it's not – so yesterday I preached uh, Exodus 1 and 2, and um, so it's it's a larger chunk. But if you read that, contextually, that's that's how it was written, that there's, yeah. you know, there's those um, beginning and stops right there on 1 and 2, and so it's supposed to be kind of read and understood together. So preaching, it's not – too bad and then the way that we're doing the series 
we're moving rather quickly. In January, I started uh, with Genesis. So it took us, you know, a couple months here, five months or so to go from Genesis to Exodus. And so we're moving quickly, but through larger pieces of text. And like you said a minute ago, it's helpful because almost every other Sunday, maybe every three Sundays, I will do a cap of where we've been so far in watching the overarching narrative of the Bible. And I yes. think that's kind of fun. And it's, people are engaging it. They're starting to tie things together and, and understanding that the Exodus story has to do with the Genesis stories and mm-hmm. the creation and the fall. All of this is one story. It yeah, all goes together, right. which is very important, um, especially if, with the current debate on whether or not the Old Testament matters, those sort of things, because, you know, it all goes together. And it's helpful to preach in context. Yeah. So let's um, so l- let's let's clarify a little bit here, um, Josh, because I would argue that w- we shouldn't be worried. I want to be careful because I know we're talking about the value of preaching larger text or smaller text. I would right. say that we probably shouldn't be as worried about preaching larger text or smaller text. We should be worried about preaching the text, right? So. Um, sure. In, in that I mean, what does the context demand? I mean, there are times when you could get into specific passages and you need to preach. I can I can think of preaching through Romans, mm-hmm. where I can make an argument that there are times when preaching through Romans, there are portions of Romans that we need to break down into bite-sized, tiny little pieces. Um, and then there are times when, you know, you need to preach the larger narrative. The, the truth of the matter is, that narrative tends to be a significant amount of the New Testament and the Old Testament, particularly the Old Testament. And so it just makes sense in those contexts to preach larger portions at a time. But we, we shouldn't, my argument is we shouldn't limit ourselves to one or the other. What does the context demand? Um, the danger is when we, I think, when we limit ourselves, when we limit ourselves to only big portions, mm-hmm. I would argue then that we can miss things that we don't want to talk about in the text. Uh, you know what I mean? Mm, so we can over skip it, yeah. over that part. So there's yeah. that. When we preach only small portions, it's here's the ironic thing about preaching only smart, small portions. We feel like uh, we justify it in our mind by saying, well, we're doing better. We're doing a better job of revealing the text. But what we often do is we get so tight to the text that we lose the context and therefore lose the overall meaning, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. And so I think there's a danger to both. I think there's a benefit to both. I think the question is, what does the context demand? And are you sort of looking at it from 30,000 feet and 30 feet back and forth mm-hmm. as you're preparing to make sure that you're correctly communicating the point of the text? Exactly. You know, one of the things that factors into this, I was talking to a preacher friend who just took his first uh, lead pastor position maybe, I don't know, two weeks ago. And um, he called, he's a he's a listener, and he's about, I don't know, an hour and a half away, called, and we ended up meeting up here at my office and, and talking a little bit about this topic, particularly how to approach preaching schedules and those sort of things. And one of the factors I do, I do not believe gets talked about enough in this conversation is just the tenure of a pastor. And I told him, I said, you know, there's, I've heard the argument you need to preach much shorter portions because you need to preach the full counsel of the word of God. And I think that's, I think that that makes sense. But if you see the pastorate and the preaching ministry as a long ball game, and so you're going to spend, I don't know, 10, 15, 25 years preaching to this group of people, this congregation, it's not harmful to preach an overarching, this is the big, This we're going to set the scope, we're going to see where everything's kind of going, and then 
zoom down and kind of spend some time on this element or that element and then go back out, remind everybody, go back down, you know. Sure. So if you see it as a big, long thing and not just this is the one series I have to do or I have to deliver this one text and see it as part of a holistic yeah. approach to preaching, it kind of helps you alleviate some of that, I, th- I think, guilt that comes from, you know, you can really see it if people went to certain seminaries or, or certain schools. They, they kind of feel a certain guilt to be a certain style of preacher. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I maybe think you that's right. need to feel that guilt. I think you know, we're all creatures. Two things are true. We're all creatures of habit, and we're all um, um, products of our influences, right? And right. so I think those two things lend themselves to us preaching every week a particular way. And so I think um, I think the key is to make sure that we are um, balancing sort of the way we approach text and the way we deliver text. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know we're not just preaching the same way the person who trained us always you know preached, or you know we're not just becoming a, a clone of them. Um, and make sure that we're evaluating our, our sermons. And, I, you know, we've talked about this a little bit before, but I think sermon evaluation is a really a significant issue that very few pastors really do. The, the extent of our evaluation for too many pastors tends to be the person at, in, in the congregation who comes up to us and says either, you know, that was the best thing I've ever heard. Boy, nobody preaches like you do. Or what is wrong with you, pastor? Why did you, you know, why did you say that? So there's that. Or it's mm. just our wife or ourselves saying, here's what we think about the sermon. All of those are good. I mean, they can all benefit in certain ways, but I'm talking about a more systematic approach to evaluation of our sermons. You know, I, I created a, a few years ago an online anonymous sermon evaluation form. I think we've given it away here uh, on sure. the podcast yeah, before. we have. And so, you know, I try and hand that out to people I trust. And... um and ask them on a regular, you know, on regular occasions to um, fill it out. I won't know who it is that's filling it out, but if they could fill it out and let me know who it is, you know, and let me know what they think. And I ask very specific questions. What was the primary point of the text? Um, you know, were my illustrations helpful? Uh, you know, did, uh, you know, I mean, um, was there something in the sermon that kept you from being able to listen well, that, that prevented you from hearing what I had to say? You know, I asked them right. a series of questions. And then trying to sort of evaluate it in a systematic manner, uh, I think, has, been, has proven to be a really good way to, uh, to get at sermon evaluation. You know, one of the accidental feedbacks that I've been, that we have built in here to our system at Saxe's Church is that I lead a small group. Um, you know, like a, a group of my peers in um, the week after we, we do sermon based small groups. And yes, so the wow. week after I preach a whole week later, I am talking with a group of about 20 folks about that sermon. And it's the more comfortable they've all gotten with me being there. Right. They can talk critically um, and sometimes constructively about points that I made, illustrations I made. I, there have been regular times I've heard somebody say something along the lines of, yeah, I wasn't really following where you were going with that. Or right. I have never thought of it that way before, but it was real helpful. So just having a full-on discussion for about an hour every week about what I'm preaching is super helpful to me. I'm not saying everybody needs to do that, but that's one of the big um, kind of feedbacks I have. Because some of the people in that room are highly critical of everything. I mean, and that, exactly. and that's, that's helpful. Right. And then there's other people that are just, you know, think I'm the smartest pastor they've ever, you know, come around. So <laughs> of course. Having, them, having them both in there are, 
really, really great and helpful to me. And, and so um, I've, I've actually, this Sunday is a great example. I mentioned something for clarification purposes in Sunday sermon that I learned about the hour before in small group about the week before and just was able to just kind of keep rolling. It feels like a ongoing conversation. So that was a helpful kind of um, feedback form that we that I got somehow without planning on it. Yeah, no, that's actually uh, that's helpful for me as well. I do um, uh, not every one of our life groups are sermon based at Brainerd. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a combination, but the one I'm a part of is sermon based, and uh, we discuss, evaluate the sermon every week, and that's always intriguing and uh, it's always helpful to me. Um, you know, to hear from them what they thought, what was helpful, and maybe what was challenging. And every week they give me a chance to uh, answer some questions for them about things that I wasn't clear about. Yeah, there's been times people, I, I can tell in our small group, okay, something really wasn't clicking, or that really did not go the way it needed to go. And I'll get onto our Facebook group and clarify the point for the rest of the church. Say, I'm hearing people talk about this. I just want to make sure you understand this is where I'm coming from. Here's a resource that you can use. So that sort of feedback is not a bad thing at all. You you want people to kind of give that to you so that you become a better preacher. Absolutely. And, and a good leader. Absolutely. That's just something there. You know, I, it, we're 20 minutes in, and we just uh, we just want to say that we do miss Sam. Sam double booked. He wasn't able to record today. And That's just right. What that means, Josh, is that Sam loves somebody else more than he loves us. Probably doing good gospel ministry or something. See, right you're now. such a nice guy. I was trying to throw him under the bus, but you're such a nice guy. He's at a raise game. <laughs> that's where he is right well, now. Well, if he's at a raise game, he's a masochist. Yeah, but you know. Well, that's how it goes. Yeah, that's so, exactly how it goes. But anyway, we do miss Sam. He'll be back next week. Of course. I want to circle back to something you said. I, I guess this this could kind of go along with the idea of preaching and, and preaching feedback and preaching larger text. I don't know. But you said something a minute ago, which I feel like a lot of people would push back on, is that most of our preaching is masculine. Mm, don't you? Absolutely. I, I think a lot of people feel that most church ministry, most uh, most of our preaching deals with what is what are commonly thought of as feminine tones when you talk a great deal about love and affection and compassion these things that are commonly considered to be feminine yeah i would i would definitely push back on that here's why um i think there is absolutely the case you keep you know i've i've heard people talk about the feminization of the church that sort of thing right and uh, i think there is an argument to be made that in many churches uh, that are especially smaller that are struggling to function struggling to survive and many i mean you and i can name so many examples Where faithful, usually older faithful women have kept the doors open for a long, long time. But the 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 statistical reality in the U.S. is that the vast, vast, vast majority of churches, uh, at least from the pastoral position, are led by men. Mm -hmm. And so men are – they may preach through topics like love, grace, mercy – those sort of things. First of all, I would argue those are not feminine topics. No, of course not. Um, And I would argue, secondly – that those are delivered through the rubric of a masculine perspective. Okay. If that makes sense. Men yes. men are preaching and they come at it from their perspective. They preach illustra- they use illustrations that resonate with them. They um you know, they they statistics, stories, whatever. It it just tends to be more masculine in in its posture. And so this goes to this really does go to the text, go to the question of preaching larger text, smaller text, how do we approach preaching? One of the questions that that I've really been hammered with for a few years is how is my are my illustrations and my application. 
How am I illustrating and applying? When I talk about how I apply it in my own life, even if the application is applicable to men and women, it comes from a masculine perspective, right? Right. Because that's what I am. (laughs) I mean, that's who I am. So I'm trying to be very intentional about thinking through um, how I apply and illustrate text to make sure that illustrations are broadly that's not to say I don't ever use masculine illustrations, but to make sure that when I do, I also try and use some illustrations that are applicable in a more feminine context. And the same thing is true with application. And for those who are thinking in their minds right now that they want to push back on the idea, I would say we tend to not think about it. I, I say we, I'm saying people like myself, men who are serving as pastors, leading in churches, we don't think about it. It's to us just the normal process of receiving scripture, you know, interpreting it and then communicating it. But think about it. Everything we do is filtered through our own perspective. And so, of course, when men are preaching, they're going to preach through a a masculine perspective. It requires an intentional correction. Maybe correction is, I mean, correction is probably a good word, but it it requires intentional effort to make sure that we're communicating in such a way that it it appropriately communicates across both genders. Hmm. I can see that. What is um? Can you think of any times where you've tried to tackle a larger portion of text, and then like you know you get halfway through your week and you're you're thinking, this was a mistake. I need to cut this down or something like that. How'd that go? Yeah, I mean I have done that, and I don't. I, whenever I build a sermon calendar out, I build our sermoners calendars out twelve months in advance. Um, and uh, when we build our sermon calendars out, we always leave three to five weeks in there without a sermon planned so that we have flex sermons. We might have find out there's a special guest in the area that we could get to come in and speak, and we want them to speak. Or we realize that we need a couple of weeks to study you know, for a text that we're preaching, and we need to separate the text. So we always have that built into our calendar. Having said that, um, and, and by the way, the way I do that, I plan our, like, so we've got a sermon retreat sort of planned in August. I say a sermon retreat. Basically, all we're going to do is there's about four or five of us who will plan our sermons for next year, and we'll go to another building that's away from our main building for an afternoon and and the next morning. So we're not spending a night anywhere. We're not going away. We call it a sermon retreat, but we're just going to a building across town where nobody will bother us, and we can plan. So uh, the way we do that is we'll plan in August for all of 2019, and we'll have by, by the end of August, we should have all of 2019 mapped out. And we'll take like the month of October or so, and just completely plan no sermons for that month. Hmm. Maybe September, maybe October, somewhere in that ballpark. And uh, because we know over the first nine months of the year, we're going we're gonna to flex a few sermons. Right. Three is probably a good number uh, to leave open. But anyway, um, now having said all of that, Josh, I'll tell you what happens more often. In fact, this just happened in the last three weeks. What happens even more often to than, oh my gosh, I got a big text and I have to um, divide it up. What happens more often is, oh my word, this narrative crosses multiple chapters. I need to preach two chapters at a time instead of one. And oh. that actually happens more often than the opposite. I had it literally happen two weeks ago in a sermon. We were planning... Uh, we're preaching through Esther. We were going to preach one chapter. We got to looking at it. We're like, well, wait a minute. The end of the chapter is not the break in the story. You've got mm. to cross both chapters to get the whole story in in one right. sermon. And mm. so we actually had to uh, shift our sermon calendar by reducing our sermons by a week. Wow. A few weeks ago, I was trying to close out a five-part series on Joseph. And the way I had scheduled it out, uh, it was 
it was front heavy, but Joseph's life is front heavy. So right. you've got you know his early life, you've got Egypt, and then you've got his rise to power, etc. And um, I realized there at the last week that I had scheduled. I mean, I don't know. It was the entire end of his life, and you go through. You go through Israel blessing his sons. You go through him, you know, crossing Manasseh and Ephraim and on and on. And I just kept, I changed the text, I don't know, four times that week on what my focal point would be. Mm-hmm. Ended up with uh, what I thought was a good focal point, Joseph's last words in, in 50 verse 20. So I thought that, that was good, but sometimes it occasionally will get to where like, man, this is so much. And I just have to take a breath, step back and not write a sermon just read the story mm. and read, you know, first of all, I think this is one of the challenges is a lot of times we as preachers approach the text as a medium yeah. for our art yeah. instead of a message from God. And so if you just step back, take a breath and read and and literally I pray, God, what do you want me to say? What's the right. main thing you're saying in this whole deal? And just kind of let that rise to the top to where if you read, if you read, let's say, five chapters and you walk away and somebody said hey what did you just read and you could give it to him in one sentence that's that's where you need to preach that that thing right there sums up the whole of it i will say this too for those who are maybe uh struggling maybe they're thinking man i'm i'm right now into the 700th sermon of romans right and i'm thinking maybe i've I've gone down too low um how do how do you actually do that i will say this even though I tend to preach larger text, a couple chapters at a time or a whole pericope at a time, I really have a key verse, a, yes. a verse or a couple verses that I'm really focused in on. So as I shared earlier, I preached Exodus 1 and 2. But the last three verses of chapter 2 summarize all of 1 and 2. You could really preach those three verses and as you're explaining them, go back and explain it from 1 and 2. So yes. it's never like... You know, I rarely will read all two chapters. I summarize them, going through reading portions as I go and then explaining as we go. But then I'll really focus in and drill down on one or two verses that kind of put it all back together for the audience and for the congregation. Yeah, I think that's an absolutely helpful point, Josh, and that's something I do as well. I just kind of, you know, you you preach. And really, I mean, it's not just each sermon, like when I'm preaching through a book, I'm keying in on a couple of specific verses as sort of the key verses to the whole book. Like Esther, mm. you know, Mordecai saying to Esther, could it be that you are here for such a time as this? Well, that's, sure. to me, I'm, I'm arguing, my argument is that Esther is about the providence of God in the lives of ordinary people. Right. And that verse is exactly the summation of the whole book. So mm-hmm. as so, I'm exactly. taking people back to that verse over and over, even as we're preaching through the whole book. So yeah, I again, I, I think we're not trying to pit, and and I think the careful we got to be careful here. And you're not, and I don't think I am, uh, arguing for small or large text. We're just trying to say preach the text in a contextually appropriate way. Just don't lock yourself into one or the other. That's right. And I would argue, I would say this: like it doesn't matter if you're preaching the larger or if you're preaching the smaller. If you're preaching the larger and you really can't explain a lot of the smaller inside of it, I don't know that you can really actually preach the larger. And if you're preaching the smaller and you don't know how that fits into the larger context, mm-hmm. then you're there's a good chance. This is a this is just a truth that I think most biblical preachers understand. If you can't explain how the smaller portion fits into the larger, 
you may very well be preaching the smaller portion incorrectly. And that's, that's a danger that we need to kind of avoid in our study. That's right. Whether, you know, regardless of what you deliver on the, yeah. on the big. So, well, that's all the time we have for today. Do want to go ahead and remind folks again that next week we will be in Dallas at the Davis Street Espresso Coffee Shop. And um, that's going to be at 8 o'clock in the morning on Monday. And so if you are in Dallas, even if you're not a Southern Baptist, just a listener of the show and you want to swing by, that's, of course, um, acceptable and encouraged. We'd love to shake your hand. Thank you so much for listening to the show. We're going to be uh, you know, covering the cost of the first 20 folks that walk in the door and tell them that you are with EST. We'll get your drink. You don't even have to get just black coffee. We'll get your we'll get your fancy drink. You know the cortadas there are, are fantastic. You got to try one of those. So I'll try to talk Micah into drinking a cortada. See if he yeah, that won't happen. See if he'll swallow it. Uh, that so, won't happen, man. I am so I am now uh, as of June. I am nineteen months caffeine and carbonation free. Wow. I don't drink coffee at all. Tastes nasty. It's like bitter water. <laughs> and uh, I tell people, life is my caffeine. I don't need that other artificial stuff. He is. He is. He's walking closer with the Lord. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that that's the truth, but I do like to mock you guys who love coffee. Problem is, my wife loves coffee more than all of you combined. Well, that's going to be very hard for me to believe. We travel. We travel with a hand grinder and a travel French press everywhere wow. we go. So that's incredible. I'm telling that you, when I say my wife loves coffee, in fact, for Mother's Day, remember we're recording this the day after Mother's Day. Mm-hmm. I um, I bought her a new coffee grinder. New electric coffee grinder, a burr grinder. I'm sure she loved that. She was very happy, very happy with it. Very good. Well, thanks again for listening to EST. We will catch you next week, and uh, Sam will be back on the show. Talk to you all later. Peace. You've been listening to EST, a discussion for the established church. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter, as well as subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcatcher. Thanks for listening. Support for EST is sponsored by Pastor Talk by Lifeway. Join host Marty Dern as he interviews pastors, professors, authors, and other ministry practitioners. Pastor Talk gives you tools and encouragement to shepherd your flock well. Subscribe to Pastor Talk in iTunes or your favorite podcatcher or listen online at lifewaypastors.com.